Don't check. Don't check. This is Brown's Digest. What's going on, Dog Pound? I would like to welcome you all back to episode nine of the Brown's Digest podcast. I am your host, Sean Stevenson, and join with me as always, Pete Smith. Pete, how you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. It's going to be a great show for you guys. Of course, the NFL Draft Weekend just wrapped up a couple weeks ago, and it is a great opportunity for us to finally sit down and talk about how the AFC North is beginning to wrap up in terms of how teams have improved. So we will go through each of the draft classes that the Cincinnati Bengals, Baltimore Ravens, and Pittsburgh Steelers had over draft weekend. And with that as well, we'll be giving our grades and our thoughts on each one of those classes, and we'll be doing it in order of where the team is placed. So, of course, with that, the team that was in the cellar of the AFC North, and it's likely to be there depending on what happens next season, probably is going to be the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, Before I get into it, uh, Pete, what are your thoughts about the Cincinnati Bengals heading into the season and where, how do you think they will perform? Bad. They're going to be bad. Uh, they might be fun, but they'll be bad. They, they overall picture for them is murky at best. They have so many questions on both sides of the ball. Uh, and while, you know, quarterback can do a lot for you, uh, you know, coming off the knee injury, I'm not sure how that uh, will play itself out, if there's going to be any issue there. And, and their head coach stinks. So it's going to be problematic. You know, if they're lucky, you know, they'll do badly enough to get uh, move on from Zach Taylor. I, I, I think the worst case scenario would be doing well enough for him to keep his job. Okay. Um, I mean, that's a, a very bold statement. And could you go a little bit more into detail of why you feel like Zach Taylor isn't the right coach for them? Uh, well, he last year he uh, benched a bunch of vet, like he benched veterans without telling them. So like he pissed off Carlos Dunlap big time because he just put him out of the lineup without actually telling him that he was out of the lineup. Uh, he managed to just anger a bunch of the veterans, uh, unprofessional. Uh, the, the, the team. Um, does well in terms of their opening script. Uh, they, they tend to score points early, but they get killed in the second half of games, which suggests they don't have very much in terms of second half adjustments. It also suggests they don't have much talent, which is also true. But the, they they have blown a ton of leads over the, the past year. And, and obviously, uh, it, it starts with their handling of Burrow. They had Andy Dalton on the roster. They did not have to put Burrow in immediately. They could have let him sort of sit and not be put into that horrible situation, which was foreseeable that he would get hurt. It was just a question of how long they could not block to save their lives. And they cut Dalton. And instead they put Burrow in who then has to have major knee surgery uh, to end the year. So just all those things combined, just, uh, just, bad uh obviously he's a young head coach but my fear with them was when they when they fired marvin lewis that they would go right back to the bruce coslitz of the world and they have and they've gotten right back to it and you know marvin lewis relative to the bengals may may have well has been uh vince lombardi just with the lack of organizational support he had that he was able to do as well as he did because everybody else seems to go basically three and 13. I think Dick LeBeau was like the high point at like eight and eight or nine, seven. Yeah. The Bengals overall, just the organization hasn't had the best, um, I should say preference for media personnel or former players. There's always talk about, you know, they don't really upgrade their stadium that much or like their, uh, 
their player facilities aren't as top notch as as compared to other NFL franchises. Practice under a freeway. Yeah, which is just which is just odd. Um, and, and really, that's more of a reflection on, on ownership, where you know if they're not even making a commitment to upgrade the player facilities, you know how do you expect to, you know, overhaul and change the organization to a winning culture? And Marvin Lewis, I feel like he did a solid job. I mean, obviously they didn't really do much in the playoffs, but you know they won the division a few times. Uh, I mean, there were years where the Steelers and the Ravens and the Bengals all made the playoffs, you know, when they were around 10, 11 win teams. And I mean, at least they were there, you know, part of the first steps of becoming a better team is at least making it to the playoffs, which they did. And then of course, since that moment, it's really just been like a, a steady decline. And the Andy Dalton phase really was kind of the pinnacle for the Bengals over the past decade. So obviously they're hoping for some improvement um, one good thing they do have going for this offseason are those white jerseys, which are pretty solid. Um, and one thing that just still boggles my mind is that picture of Joe Burrow sitting on that chair and just seeing that scar go down his leg and just knowing he's probably going to be running for his life again. Yeah, I mean, the Bengals franchise history is defined by having protection and quarterback injuries. Uh, I mean, he, under Marvin Lewis, they had Carson Palmer. They had a shot to, to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, Kimo Von Olhoffen hits in the knee. He goes down for the year. They lose. Uh, you know, not because of a lack of uh, offensive line protection or anything, but uh, Cook is one of the all-time – Greg Cook is one of the all-time what-ifs in NFL history – uh, because you know he is the guy that Bill Walsh said was the most talented quarterback he ever coached. He tears his rotator cuff. Back then, they didn't know what to do about it, so they just threw through it. And he tore it and made it worse to the point he was unplayable. But he's one of the all-time talents that, of, of what if. When they do have offensive line talent, notably Anthony Munoz, they go to the Super Bowl. So – you know, that's sort of the dichotomy. And it's not to say there aren't multiple ways to build a franchise, but in terms of the Bengals, um, that has defined them and their success for the past, you know, quarter, you know, at this point, about 40 years. Yeah. So looking at their draft weekend, um, overall, I would say they had a decent draft. There was a notion that they definitely want to improve in the trenches. And when you look at a lot of, NFL teams and their ability to improve from a year-to-year basis and teams that are really, I would say, starting fresh or in the beginning of a rebuild, which the Bengals still are, is you have to improve in the trenches. And that was a notion that was followed throughout this draft. So looking at the picks they made on day one, they took Jamar Chase, pick number five, the receiver out of LSU. He rejoins Joe Burrow. After their national championship run, he opted out of the season back in 2020. And I mean, basically through that time, he was still considered the number one marquee receiver. And of course, he's the first receiver off of the board. And really the biggest discussion at that pick number five slot was, do you go Jamar Chase and give Joe Burrow a weapon or do you go Panay Sewell, who many believe um, has the potential to be a generational offensive tackle? And have someone that can help protect Joe Burrow. So, in my opinion, I don't mind the decision of taking Jamar Chase at number five because one, it gives you really a really talented uh, wide receiver room for Joe Burrow to work with. You already have T. Higgins. Um, you have uh, his name is escaping me right now. Tyler, Tyler Boyd. Boyd. Um, you know they they have plenty of talent in order for him to throw the ball too. But on the same token, it's hard to get your receivers the ball where you're kind of lacking in terms of offensive talent. And they kind of somewhat tried to answer that question by taking Jackson Carmen, the offensive guard out of Clemson in the second round uh, at the beginning of the day two. And then they wrapped it up uh, on Friday with someone that you actually preferred in terms of an edge rushing option for the Browns with Joseph Asai, the edge out of Texas, 
who's more of a offensive linebacker uh, that stands up and rushes off the edge than necessarily a typical defensive end talent. But they definitely tried to figure out how to get better in the trenches. And really the biggest question mark is, was Jamar Chase the best option for them long term? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't care if it, if it was Penny Sewell or if it was Rashawn Slater. I think the Bengals would have been better off taking them or maneuvering to get them and getting a few assets. Jamar Chase is great. Um, I, you know, it's not a question of him as a talent. It's a philosophical choice. Um, and I think they compounded the problem by trading down uh, too far in the second round and ending up with Jackson Carmen which would suggest that they would have preferred Penny Sewell because all their linemen they took other than Deontay Smith are huge. Uh, it, it, I think they, they, they missed out on some better options in the trade down. Yes. They got some extra picks. That's great. But I think they traded past um, some great options like they, you know, Tevin Jenkins and some of those guys. Uh, and, and it, I think it just puts a ton of pressure on an offensive line coach that the, the season may hinge on in, in large part, if you can't block again and Joe Burrow sitting there getting whacked again, I think a lot of that's going to fall on him uh, as the offensive line coach, because now they've got, you know, a bunch of these players that are toolsy that haven't really figured it out yet. So it's, it's more questions than answers. I mean, I love Joseph Asai. I wish him all the best, uh, even though he went to the Bengals. Uh, I think he's great. I think he will be very good for them. I think uh, they have a really nice setup in terms of the defensive line now where they're pretty, pretty deep across the board with options. Uh, so, I mean, the, 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 I think that was that and Jamar Chase were both good picks. Uh, but again, it, it just comes back to what is your philosophy? And to me, I, I understand the argument that, you don't need great, great players to uh, on the offensive line. You just need a bunch of solid ones. But again, if you can't protect Joe Burrow, none of it matters. Uh, so as much as you may not want to pay the the sticker price for a Penny Sewell, if you plugged him in at guard with uh, with Jonah Williams at left tackle and Riley Reef at right tackle for a year, he may be Quentin Nelson for you and stabilize the whole thing, improve your run blocking as well. I, you know, I, I have a hard time thinking that the Colts regret taking Quentin Nelson, who's right already almost a, a, a certain lock for the Hall of Fame. Uh, and he's played like, what, three years. So uh, uh, Jamar Chase is great. You know, the Browns and the Bengals and or, uh, the Browns, Steelers and the Ravens are going to have to account for him for, for six games a year. But that. It, it's just I, I don't think it's going to matter in the end if, if if we're looking at this in another year, if he even grabs at his ankle, if he grabs at anything, it's just not going to end well. Yeah. And you have to protect your franchise quarterback. If you're not able to do that, it's going to be hard to one, improve on a weekly basis and dig yourself out of a cellar. And then also in the situation you know, that the Bengals really haven't won many games since Zach Taylor joined. It gets harder and harder on a yearly basis for ownership to be convinced that you're the right option for them in order for that team to improve. And I agree with you as well that they did improve um, on the defensive line. When you take into consideration as well what they brought in in free agency, of course, they lose um, Carl Lawson or was it? Yeah, Carl Lawson. And you bring in Trey Hendrickson from the Saints. You add Larry Ogan, Joby. And then they added another edge player, Cam Sample, in the top of the fourth round. And then also Tyler Shelvin, a nose tackle out of LSU, who's a huge body, someone that can help replace the loss that they have. And Andrew Billings from two seasons ago, who's now with the Browns. So they kind of swap, you know, two defensive interior linemen there. You already talked about Deontay Smith. Uh, that was the offensive tackle that they decided to take on day three out of East Carolina. And then, you know, they have Trey Hill, uh, a center out of Georgia. Chris Evans, a running back in the sixth round out of Michigan. That may be someone that could potentially make the roster given his versatility. 
during his time in Michigan, he actually started a game at wide receiver. So maybe they try to use him as a running back that catches passes out of backfield. Also considering that they just um, let Giovanni Bernard walk in free agency after his extended period of time with the team. And then, of course, the biggest head scratcher, regardless of what team that does it, the Browns did it a few years ago, and he's now with the Bengals. Uh, they drafted a kicker, Evan McPherson, out of Florida. And to me, it still boggles my mind that people are taking kickers in the fifth round. Anything higher than the seventh, I would say maybe a late six-round pick, it, it doesn't make sense to take a kicker that early when there's other positions that are more highly touted when you know you have needs across your entire roster. Yeah, I mean, they have a lot of money invested in their defensive line. Uh, they 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 have uh, DJ Breeder, the nose they got from the Houston Texans, who's you know sort of anchoring that front. Uh, they 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 obviously have Trey Hendrickson, who they just signed a free agency, uh, and and they give six point two million dollars to Larry Ogunjobi, who's going to be an interesting role player for them. Uh, they have bodies, they have talent. I like this Cam Sample pick. Uh, I, I like the Osai pick. Shelvin was a guy that uh, there were people who really liked him for the Browns. I, I don't see it. Um, he's a guy who, who who's fighting his weight. He doesn't produce uh, or hasn't didn't produce at LSU. I, I just I, I don't I don't see where it works. I just don't think he has the athleticism necessary. Being a big body is not enough. Andrew Billings is a far superior athlete. They should have gone to me. They should have gone with something. More in that vein, I mean, to me, I think Marvin Wilson, who the Browns got as an undrafted free agent, has a far better, brighter future than than Shelvin does. Now, you know, Shelvin may not have the injury questions that Marvin Wilson does, but just on talent, I don't think it's close. Uh, I don't know what getting a, a, a really heavy two-down nose gets you when you have a player like DJ Reader already on the roster. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. I, I, I'm not sure. I, I, again, philosophically, I don't love what the Bengals did. They, they've probably got some pretty good players, but so much of it, I mean, they took three offensive linemen and none of them are all that developed at this point. Uh, you know, what are the, what is that starting five going to look like and how, how effective will it be is the entire question of this season for the Bengals. What grade would you give them for their draft? Uh, probably like a C plus, but that's again, that's with the caveat that philosophically, I don't think they did a great job. Yeah. yeah that's a taste thing more than anything. Yeah. I, I would say that a C plus a B minus around that range is a, is a fair grade for them. Cause a, a lot of it is like you said, philosophically, how does it all mesh together? And it doesn't matter how many players you take and how many different positions you try to address during the draft. If it doesn't mesh well into a cohesive, you know, 22 men on the field, then of course your depth players, then it's going to be hard to really improve, you know, from a year to year basis that you're going to need to do, hoping that you have your franchise quarterback in Joe Burrow. And his health obviously is going to be a huge question. So moving on to the second place team, the team that always seems to give us fits, unfortunately, um, obviously that Monday night football game. I would arguably say was the best game of the season last year. Didn't go in the Browns' favor, and it just seems to happen every year. The Baltimore Ravens draft well, and they continue to get better, and it's just more and more of a notion that they're going to be around for the long haul as long as Lamar Jackson's their quarterback and he can continue to grow as a passer. Overall, for their draft, um, I gave them the highest grade of the division with the B plus um, obviously some of their day three picks is really going to have to either show how they fit into that roster or how they can become a contributor. But when it comes to their needs, I feel like they pretty much addressed them all outside of offensive tackle, but they kind of already had a plan in place with Andre uh, Alejandro Villanueva. So they kind of get a, I would say a slight pass for that one. And that could be borderline a minus, uh, you know, depending on how those later picks happen. So what are your thoughts on their draft and how would you grade them out? 
Uh, I get, I would give them an A. I thought they had arguably the best draft of anybody in the league. Um, I love Rashad Bateman. I don't know if he's right for Lamar Jackson, but I think he's a really good player. Uh, I, I, Odafe Owe is a guy I did not want for the Browns, but I think he's perfect for the Ravens because they their 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 defense is predicated on blitzing, and you know he doesn't need to be a developed pass rusher when they just have more than you. And then his just supreme athletic gifts take over, and now you're suddenly dealing with this guy who you know is almost 260 pounds with you know four three speed and unbelievable quickness and everything else. That's you know, that's perfect for what they want to do. Ben Cleveland is is Ravens guard through and through, uh, you know, he's a guy connected with that team anyway. Um, he's just enormous plow horse type. It fits perfectly with Lamar Jackson fits perfectly with how they want to move the ball. Um, a lot of people were out on Brandon's the, a third round pick. He's exactly what the Browns did with Anthony Schwartz, but at corner, if you go off data and history and all those things, his profile um, has all pro upside. He, which is way better than Schwartz. Um, you're, you're sitting there saying, well, he's not a developed entity. I get it, but they don't need him to play right now. They can sort of sit back with him and take their time and maybe sit for him for a year or two. And whether he becomes a true corner or a safety his upside is huge. So, you know, both the Browns and the Ravens did this. And I think both of them bet on the right type of player to do this with. If you're going to swing, swing big on this type of player. So I like that pick for them. I was huge on Tylen Wallace. You know, it just fell into their lap. So, I mean, just looking at the way the Ravens operate, I think they crushed it in terms of just value while getting players that fit who they are. They know exactly what they are in terms of a team and what the type of players that fit them. So, you know, there are things that could go wrong with this. Obviously, I'm not a, I'm not a believer in Alejandro Villanueva at their right tackle spot. But, I, you know, getting getting a guy like Ben Cleveland, it would not surprise me if he was good enough to step in and start earlier than later. Uh, so it's not perfect in terms of hitting everything that you wanted to hit in terms of need. But just in terms of maximizing what, you know, the value of those picks I thought the Baltimore Ravens did a great job in a year where seemingly with the losses on their roster, they're poised to sort of take a small step backward and they took a bunch of players that might allow them to stay right where they want to be. I still think they're going to take a little bit of a step back, but I I think they could be back and better in a year or two uh, if these players develop the way they could. Yeah. And I agree that they'll take a slight step back, obviously given the back-to-back seasons where, I mean, you've made the playoffs both times. Lamar Jackson was coming off an MVP season, and then they still finished second in the division with the Browns going 11-5. and So this is a team that's not going anywhere. I like to pick up Ben Cleveland as well. I mean, again, someone that's a large body that's very strong in a run game is not something you want to hear as a Browns fan because that just really gives you a nod that they're going to run the ball. And that's something that they were going to do regardless of, you know, who they brought in. So you have someone that fits the culture, that fits your system. And with him being such a good player in run blocking, that just gives you more confidence to use J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. You know, basically two players that they hit the ball, hit the hole in their north and south runners. So they're going to be churning out three, four yards. You add um, Kevin Zeitler who's solid in, in, in run blocking as well in free agency. Now, the Villanueva, you know, pickup option still, obviously, like you said, has some questions behind it, but I still think that it's a upgrade over Tyree Phillips and especially what you're getting out of um, DJ Fluker last year, who just hasn't ever really been a good offensive lineman in NFL uh, to this point, but also taking Cleveland is another step in the right direction in terms of addressing that major, you know, hole that Marshall Yonda left, who's a Hall of Famer. So, you know, I felt like that was a, a very necessary pick for them. Tylen Wallace, a player that had huge plays down the field during his time at Oklahoma State. They took him in the fourth round. And that's one of the things that you start to notice with the Baltimore Ravens is they're going to take 
constant swings at the receiver position until they hit. And there's nothing wrong with that. Now, they are a team that likes to utilize more tight ends um, than wide receivers. They get uh, Nick Boyle back. They added another tight end and Ben Mason out of Michigan. So that just adds you know more depth to that tight end room. There's obviously still some questions of what happens with the contract of Mark Andrews. Um, so at least in the terms of that doesn't work out, if he wants more money or h- however that goes, they at least have another depth option if Nick Boyle has to move up to your tight end one. And then you look at Sean Wade, the cornerback out of Ohio State. That was a player that he had a down 2020 playing on the outside, but he's a player that has the, I would say he has the ability to succeed as a slot and nickel cornerback um, early on in his career because he doesn't necessarily have the measurables to play consistently on the outside, but that's not something you have to worry about when you have the likes of Marcus Peter and Marlon Humphrey on the outside. And then you look at Taven Young and Jimmy Smith. If there's a situation where you know they want more money than you're willing to give them, you now have somebody in the range to take that um, that role within Sean Wade. So he's not necessarily pressed to play a lot this year and someone that can develop or uh, in the situation some people, some analysts were saying about his overall athletic traits. He, since he's not necessarily predicated in a play on the outside, he could be someone that could transition to safety, which was a position that they needed to address in the draft, which they didn't do, but they have some talent on the back end. And again, you have that flexibility to move someone like Sean Wade to play that role, which wouldn't be that bad. And then again, Dalen Hayes, linebacker out of Notre Dame, running mate with Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, um, just another body to add to that linebacker room that they're looking to get younger and um, more depth after losing some players to free agency. Yeah, Sean Wade may have a chance to play pretty early. Uh, it, Tavon Young, it's entirely a question of how healthy he is. He's had some issues uh, with injuries uh, the last couple of years. So depending on how that shakes out, Sean Wade may be out there pretty quick. But yeah, I mean, the, the Ravens are very good at this. They, they they hit value and they get a lot of return on the investment. Uh, so, you know, I, again, I think they'll take a step back, but I don't, I think they'll, they may be better in a year or two, but all this is obviously predicated on how Lamar Jackson steps up this year. If he's, if he's a better passer, they're as dangerous as anybody. If he's still wildly inconsistent as he has been, then they, they may have a, a ceiling. Yeah, and I would say one of the biggest factors that really plays into Lamar Jackson's development is, is their receiver room actually better? You know, they have a lot of bodies. They got Marquise Brown, who they took out of Oklahoma a few years ago, who was never really a wide receiver one. I mean, one, he's just so small and slight, but he has so much speed that he helps you stretch the field vertically. Um, I would say kind of similar to what a lot of people were saying with Devontae Smith. He's not the biggest guy, but his production in college, you know, it, it, it can't be denied. Sammy Watkins, they gave some money from the Kansas City Chiefs on a uh, one-year deal. And then they got Devin Duvernay, Miles Boykin, James Proch, uh, you know, players that they had last year that still hasn't developed. So when you really look at it, I mean, Rashard Bateman is the type of player that has the skill set and the intangibles you will want in someone that could develop into a number one wide receiver. But I really still don't see it that their receiver room is really all that much better compared to what they had last year. Well, I I think Marquise Brown really stepped up at the end of last year. I thought he was very good in the playoffs. Uh, I, I, am curious to see a lot of this is going to be how quickly can Bateman sort of step in and contribute, but Mark, I mean, Mark Andrews is such a big part of that offense that as long as he's going, it sort of can hide some of their deficiencies there. I I mean, I don't, other than running fast in a straight line, I don't know what Sammy Watkins does for you. His, His career trend is awful. Um, so, I mean, it may be, it may be, ineffectiveness and maybe injury that sort of gets some of those younger guys into the lineup quicker. Uh, But it's, it's difficult to say how much of this is on Ravens inability to, to get the right wide receivers and how much is this, is this quarterback inconsistency. And at some point, those two things are going to come to a head. Uh, I think 
Bateman is, you know, it may take him a year. We'll see. Uh, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if we're still not, we're still debating the answer to this question after this season. And at some point they're, we're going to have, you know, and, and then they're going to be potentially paying uh, Lamar on, on a massive extension. Uh, so they're in a tough spot in that, in that case, if they, if they uh, extend him this summer, they're, they're sort of stuck to it and they have to make this work. If they wait, then maybe they'll sort of defer this a year and see where they're at. Uh, but uh, that's, that's entirely the question. Can they get enough out of this passing game uh, to, you know, allow them to not just be a playoff team, uh, but can they be a playoff contender? Yeah. And I think when you look at this draft as well, they kind of took some options along their draft that kind of sets them up well in terms of not being overly heavy in different parts um, of their salary cap in certain position groups. Like you look at the fact Calais Campbell, Brandon Williams, you know, those are two players that have huge cap hits for, you know, this upcoming season where you have the flexibility to either move off of them or not re-sign them after their contract expires. Uh, like the Owe pick, um, you know, also for people listening, um, Odafe Owe, that's Jason Owe's uh, actual first name. So Jason is his middle name. And after he was drafted by the Ravens, he did request that people call him by his first name, which honestly isn't that difficult to pronounce Odafe. I mean, it's not. phonetically, you can just read that and it's not that hard. But um, overall, his athletic profile, his ability to play in run defense, which is something they really want since they do play a odd front and use their linebackers to rush off to the edge. It makes sense. Now, obviously, this is not saying that Owe is going to become Calais Campbell, but you have an athletic player that is a oddity versus off, uh, out of the norm, uh, which is Calais Campbell, who's just an enormous man that somehow has gotten better as he gets older. Um you know, what you don't see from a, a lot of NFL prospects. And then I would say also the Brandon Stevens pick because he's the type of player, like you said, if you hit on it, now you're in a situation of we have a talented player who's going to be on a rookie deal for an extended period of time. And now if I have to make cap casualties, I now have the flexibility to move off of a cornerback that's commanding a high price tag and i feel like it's kind of obvious if they do move off of someone you're probably moving off of marcus peters and brandon stevens kind of gives you a player within that mode that can help you replace some of that loss given that you have to get rid of somebody because i mean cornerback is one of the prime premium positions outside of edge rusher and cornerback in the nfl that's really going to command a, a lot of your salary cap dollars yeah, I mean, he may ultimately be the replacement for Jimmy Smith. You know, again, inconsistency, ability to stay healthy, reliability, uh, and he does make you know does make some money. So maybe that's the the long term projection. I mean, they're they're pretty set as far as uh, CJ Mosley uh, or not Mosley, but whoever the, the the corner they have that's really good, uh, and and maybe they're ready to or. or Stevens could potentially be a guy that takes over for uh, uh, Marcus Peters, who's very, very, very fast, but he's not a great corner, but he does feel what they want to do. So I, we'll, we'll see. I, I'm, I don't rule out the possibility that maybe Stevens ends up a safety in that scheme, but I do think they just like him because he's a big corner uh, and they, they have liked that type of guy with guys like Jimmy Smith. Uh they they can be a, a really good defense. I mean, that's that's where they work. So if they can sort of stash him away, uh, Stevens away and he develops, then they get a massive find. Uh, if they can't, you know, it, it's the same. It's the same deal with Anthony Schwartz for the Browns. You could easily see where in three years, both guys are are, are big time contributors, and you could look three years and, and and see that neither of them does anything. That's sort of the the. The, the type of swing for the fences pick they made. So when you look at their draft profile, what player do you think could have the biggest contribution next season 
when it comes to playing against the Browns? Because obviously when you're drafting players, you know, you have to take into consideration who you're playing within your division. And it's kind of been talked about already. I think that's one of the reasons why they moved up to make sure they could take uh, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa because he now gives you the flexibility to contain the edge and put a spy that's athletic on Lamar Jackson. Uh, so, like, what player do you think kind of fits that bill of someone that can contribute when it comes to playing the Cleveland Browns? Um, I, I think it comes back to Ben Cleveland. Uh, if he can, you know, I, I, it would not shock me in the least if Bradley Bozeman ends up at uh, center. Uh, so if they do have a Zeitler at one spot, they could easily end up with Cleveland at the other or something along those lines and just get much more powerful up front. Uh, they have not been afraid to put young guys in early, even mid-round picks. And, you know, if they put them at, if they like Bozeman at center, uh, then Cleveland would theoretically be protected by having Ronnie Stanley to his left if he's at left guard. And that may be the the, the situation they want to do, which, which basically just making you know a similar calculation with like Wyatt Teller, where he's just a big, strong man, and you can just put him in there and let him and let him go to town and create that space and be that bulldozer type. Yeah, the, I feel like the run game or run defense for the Browns is something that's going to have to step up a lot next year. And I feel like it was kind of hit or miss at different points last year. Obviously, the run game or the run defense has kind of somewhat been of an issue for the Browns defense over the past few years. Um, And it's just it's just something about the Ravens where they always just kind of find this ability to really chew out the clock, um, you know, with their run game and being successful in terms of getting ahead of the uh, of the sticks early on in the series. And that's something that the Browns are definitely going to have to um, do is control the uh, line of scrimmage. Like if you take into consideration, maybe someone like uh, Kevin Zeitler or Ben Cleveland taking on Malik Jackson, who's only 285, you know, that's a a much smaller player compared to their interior offensive lineman um, in the run game, which could definitely be something like if I was offensive coordinator, that's the side of the field I would want to be attacking. And then they already use typically, um, uh, what is it, 21 personnel when there's two tight ends on the field. Or is it 12 personnel? I'm trying to think. Uh, 12. 12, yeah. So you got you got two tight ends on the field. So there's a situation where you either double Miles Garrett or Jadavian Clowney, and they really just run to whatever side that is that I would say really Billings isn't, since he's arguably or easily the biggest interior defensive lineman that the Browns have on that defensive front. And then you don't really know what you have in terms of players that can contribute in terms of run defense. I mean, they drafted Tommy Togiai. Uh, They bring in Marvin Wilson. I would say Jordan Elliott is more of a pass rushing interior offensive lineman. So there's definitely some question marks in terms of how is the interior of the defensive line for the Browns going to perform in those two matchups against the Ravens. Well, I mean, the, the game is between those two is often dictated by the, the line play. When the Browns shut down Lamar Jackson and they, they destroyed the Ravens uh, in their own building, it was largely by virtue of the fact that they were able to have Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon dominate up front, and they got enough out of their defensive tackle play. When the Browns lost in that Monday night game, you know, they, they couldn't do enough to sort of contain – uh, Lamar Jackson, and, and some of that was the defensive line, but a lot of that was their second-level defenders. Uh, so that's really the question. I mean, the Browns protected well. They were able to do uh, plenty for Baker Mayfield, but they, they they needed more from the defensive line, and they've obviously made those investments, uh, getting Malik Jackson, getting Jadevian Clowney, uh, getting Tech McKinley, who's here for, again, mobile quarterbacks. Uh, that, that can run, he can chase uh, and become a problem for them. And, and Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa is good against mobile quarterbacks, uh, especially if if he's playing the flat to their, their throwing hand and they try to run and he can step up and make tackles. So they're just better prepared for what is the, the dynamic in the AFC conference in general. Everybody has a mobile quarterback except Tennessee uh, and everybody – 
allows their quarterback to create with their legs, except Tennessee. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm hoping that the Browns defensive line, their second level players, you know, figures out a way to really contain a lot of those mobile QBs and, you know, JLK gives you the ability to do that. I will also say with Phillips likely stepping into a larger role, he's another second level player that can help, you know, mitigate some of that uh, in terms of keeping that contained. Cause a lot of times when the plays break down, that's when I feel like the Browns defense is at its worst. Um, I mean, and that's evident where, you know, Lamar Jackson comes back from sitting on the toilet and throws a pass to uh, Hollywood Brown right down the field. That threat to scramble as the play breaks down, somehow there's always someone open or a, a broken coverage. That was really one of the things that Ben Roethlisberger was able to do uh, against the Browns for so many years was his ability to make a play as the original play broke down. And that's definitely something that I would want to see the Browns improve on heading into next season. So speaking about the Pittsburgh Steelers, their draft class, I really just want to say it's it's underwhelming. Um, I feel like I was kind of generous with the grade that I gave them. I gave them a C plus. Um, a, a lot of the picks, I feel like if you're going to be making a final run uh, with Ben Roethlisberger on the roster, um, you could kind of see the notion that, okay, let's improve the offense and give Ben Roethlisberger, you know, a couple weapons. They added Pat Fryermuth, the tight end out of Penn State in the second round. To me, I feel like that was more of an opportunity for them to approve along the offensive line, which really was the biggest area of concern for them heading into the draft, which they decided to wait until the third and fourth round. Uh, they drafted Kendrick Green, who's likely going to start at center with the retirement of uh, Marquise Pouncey this uh, past season. And then they also drafted Dan Moore Jr., the offensive tackle out of Texas A&M, someone that they're going to lean on potentially to help replace uh, Andre, Alejandro Villanueva. And when you look at Zach Banner as your starting tackle option, that doesn't necessarily give me a lot of confidence. Yes, he's a very big guy, but his you know technical um, set in terms of pass protection isn't really the greatest. Um, he's not like he's really tall and big, so he he doesn't have like a, a good ability to. Once I feel like once he doesn't have a good anchor, he's pretty much easy to beat. And when you have Jadavian Clowney. Um, and Miles Garrett, basically two players that have the ability to turn speed into power. That's definitely going to be an issue for Zach Banner. And Miles Garrett has already had his way with him. Um, and then, of course, with their first pick with Najee Harris, the running back out of Alabama, to me, you know, that made a, a, a ton of sense. I know some people say, you know, it would be better for them to take offensive linemen, but their run game was awful last year. And it honestly wasn't that much greater two years ago. Um, I would definitely say Najee Harris is an upgrade over uh, James Conner. I'm not the, really the biggest fan of Benny Snell, and I wouldn't want him to be my RB1 in the first place. So, like, I actually applaud them for having the confidence to take Najee Harris versus the offensive lineman at that pick. Yeah, I hate the Steelers draft philosophically for the same reasons I hate the Bengals draft. The Steelers seemingly are doing everything they can to try like hell not to finish below 500. And that's what that draft says to me that we're more worried about not going sub 500 than we are about building a sustainable success of a team. Um, I think Najee Harris seems to be a, a, a an outstanding human being. Uh, and he's certainly a talented running back. He can catch passes out of the backfield, but the commitment should have been in my view, getting an offensive lineman, a, a tackle perhaps, you know, I'd be very curious to know what they would have done had Christian Derrissaw been sitting there because he got pretty close. Uh, so getting a running back with no blocking, I mean, you're expecting Harris to sort of make that line. I don't see it. Um, Pat Frymouth is fine. He certainly fits what they do. But it's the same deal. You could have taken either another offensive lineman or or something else. I think you had an opportunity to sort of you know, reestablish the attitude of Steelers physical football up front. Instead, you know, you take Kendrick Green, who's a nice player. He may or may not play this year, depending on if he can beat out uh, Jacob Finney, 
who they got back in free agency after he, he spent a little time uh, away from that team. Um, if he can't, then they're not playing anybody new. And right now they've got two pieces of furniture at tackle. Uh, Chuck Sikorfor has done nothing that I, that, that, you know, suggests that's going to work. Uh, Zach Banner is a couch. Uh, I don't see any reason to, to, to worry about that. Um, you know, maybe he gets beaten out by Rashad Coward, who I thought was a good signing for them. But you could have really just sort of reestablished that attitude and picked a running back later. There were plenty to be had that could come in and play well. So you're now asking Najee Harris to basically resurrect an offense that didn't do any blocking last year and give him, uh, you know, Ben Roethlisberger a dump off target, which is nice. He can he can do some of those things, but it just didn't much for me. I really like Buddy Johnson. I, you know, to me, I feel like that's a Steelers type linebacker. I think he can be really good there. Um, Quincy Roach certainly fits what they want to do. You know, they got Dan Moore, I guess, but I, I think this was an outstanding draft to rebuild that offensive line and sort of understand that this was going to be a year taking a step back uh, so they could set up because potentially what they run into next year is a situation where had they invested in their offensive line, they may be in a position to take a quarterback next year. And now, you know, if it, unless they get something that I don't see coming out of, out of uh, the quarterbacks they have on their roster, uh, then they're going to have to try to do both things on the fly. And do you want to put a rookie quarterback behind Chuck Sakura for Zach Banner, you know, uh, David DeCastro is good. He's still good. Uh, I'm trying to remember who their left guard is. They're probably going to end up with the kid they had drafted a year or two ago. Who's actually pretty promising. I think they'll be okay there, but just the, the tackles are bad. They're going to be in the same situation they were last year, where it's Ben Roethlisberger has to get the ball out right now, every play, uh, you know, 2.5 seconds and under. And I don't think that has the success. I think they're going to get absolutely dominated by teams like the Ravens and the Browns and even the Bengals can, I think will be able to push them around, which, you know, they did last year. That's how they beat them. They pushed them around. So I think they try to go, they, they tried to basically keep continue this stupid Mike Tomlin slash Ben Roethlisberger streak of not going five under 500 when that's really what they needed. They needed to embrace where this thing is going, really retool this thing and build an offensive line that can sort of enable them to dominate uh, in the future. And just, you know, if nothing else, keep up with what's going on. Uh, you, you never block Miles Garrett ever. He has crushed you for years and you're basically like, yeah, we're fine with that. So great. I mean, if, if Ben, Ben Roethlisberger starts getting whacked, I, I wouldn't put, wouldn't put it past him to basically quit, have Mason Rudolph back out there. Who's terrible. Uh, maybe they get something out of, uh, out of Dwayne Haskins. Eventually, if he, if he grows up, he has talent there, there's, there's something maybe there, but I, 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 I can't, you know, if, if, if me build that line, put yourself in position to potentially get what a, a quarterback from what a, a class that I think is going to have more than than people want want to give credit to right now, uh, and, and set yourself up that way. I'm all for the the path they've chosen because this to me this gets us to to the Bubby Brister type era of the Pittsburgh Steelers that I would love to return to. Um, I, I think they have done themselves a major disservice with how they they've done this. And that doesn't mean they didn't take talented players because I think they did get some nice players, but I think they are counting on players that cannot do the job, uh, have proven they cannot do the job to somehow win games for them again. And I think it's going to blow up in their face and this season's going to go ugly for them. I would say in terms of your comment about them, not wanting to go eight and eight, how can you really have the and I, and it sucks that I decide to use this word, but have the I would really say the audacity to keep Ben Roethlisberger at the cap hit number that you you know that you have him at um, one the contract that they extension they gave him a couple years ago was 
I feel unnecessary given that the construction of the roster, you weren't necessarily really set up to even make a Super Bowl run. Even last year when they was winning all those when they were winning all those games, they were beating bad teams. And on that same token, what they started off eleven and zero, and throughout the season, you know, different you know fans alike, different media people, you know, they talked about oh the Browns are you know yeah they're winning games but they're beating bad teams. I mean the the case was the same for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and then we all saw that the steam started to cool off um, for the Steelers. And it really just became an issue of how long are they going to be able to, you know, keep this train on the tracks before it starts to derail. And I feel like it's it's getting pretty close. Um, you probably would have been better off getting pieces for, honestly, two, three years down the line. You know, if, if I can get a player that can contribute in terms of year one, that's great. But you're not winning a Super Bowl, let alone making a deep playoff push with Ben Roethlisberger. Their defense is still pretty solid, but if you're really going to be making that, you know, final push with Big Ben, why didn't you add a cornerback? Uh, you know, there you got Cameron Sutton and Joe Hayden, but that's not enough given the bevy of offensive weapons that you're going to see um, in the playoffs. I mean, let alone the Browns. You look at Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham, um, the Kansas City Chiefs, Tyreek Hill, McCole uh, Hartman, Travis Kelsey, who's, I mean, he's a tight end, but I mean, he's a quasi receiver, if you're being honest. Uh, the Buffalo Bills have a solid receiver room with Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley. And if you were going to go all in, this, this was your opportunity to do so. But like you said, to your comment, it, it, it would have been better for them to really set up for the longer term. But I, I don't feel like you can sell to the fans like, oh, well, um, you know, we're going to be a little bit better. We won't stink this year. when We are already paying Ben Roethlisberger so much money um, for basically a year. That's not going to really mean much. Yeah. I mean, again, I think Ben, Roth ben Roethlisberger desperately, desperately wants to be beloved and he's not like, I, I think he's in for a rude awakening to find out just how unpopular he is. And I don't think he, you know, in, in some ways you're, you're sort of like looking at this and going, Oh, this is, this is his Kobe Bryant season where, yeah, they're going to be bad, but they're just going to love and, and, and just adore Ben Roethlisberger for everything he's done. The way that the Lakers fans sort of did that year with Kobe Bryant. Nah, I don't think he ain't Kobe. He, he, yeah, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't get no Kobe run. <laughs> right. Like, it's just not going to happen. What are they going to do? They're going to be like, get him the hell off the field, and and we uh, want to win games. Like, um, that's the thing is I, I just – they got no cap relief restructuring him. None. They gave – he got, gave up like $15 million out of a $41 million cap hit. It was like a drop in the bucket after saying, oh, I don't care about my salary this year. Yeah, sure you don't. But – like, I, I just, this is where I, th I think it's going to go bad. Like, God help them if, you know, they play the Browns and the Ravens and, like, let's say the Chiefs, you know, in that first month of the season. You know, they're suddenly looking at potentially 0-3, and how ugly is this situation going to get? The schedule for them is going to be huge. If they get a crappy early run, I think this season is going to go really bad really quickly. Yes, and luckily we get to find out the schedule uh, this coming Wednesday. Tomorrow, actually, uh, we're recording this on uh, May 11th. And when you look at, the, I would say overall, just the schedules the AFC North is going to be facing, if they get some of these better teams early in the season, I personally wouldn't mind, this is me, and I'm saying this from the perspective of someone that's a Steelers fan or someone that's a significant decision maker within the Steelers organization. If we start off in a situation where we're say two and five and we got two more games to go and Ben Roethlisberger's playing crappy, I wouldn't mind putting in Dwayne Haskins and seeing what you got in him because you're, you're not losing anything. Y yeah. You, um, 
you're, you're already you're already paying Ben Roethlisberger the money. You know that's unavoidable. It doesn't matter if you if you cut him, if you traded him, if you got injured. Either way, you're paying a pretty penny for someone's leftover garbage. I mean, I, I can't even call the man high class recyclables. Like he he's he's not going to be good next year. You don't have that type of injury show coming off the injury that you don't have the ability to throw the ball down the field and then you're also getting a year older with a I wouldn't I would say arguably a worse offensive line because you lost two starters it's it's not an ideal situation and if you're two and five do you really think you're going to have enough to make a wild card push when you have the Chargers who was a team that had arguably one of the best drafts the Dolphins are still going to be in there and you're definitely not going to take a playoff spot from the from the Ravens or the Browns. Why not put Dwayne Haskins in there? Well, for some reason, they seem to be under this deluded impression that Mason Rudolph is not awful. Uh, and frankly, I, I would hope they sign him to about a 30-year contract extension uh, to, to embrace that. Uh, I'm, a, I'm more inclined to basically say just let – Dwayne Haskins disappear for a year. He's still super young. He's fine. Uh, that's the big thing is just have him grow up uh, and just learn as much as he can. And, and, you know, for the same reason, I wouldn't want to put, I didn't want to put Joe in that line. If I actually think Dwayne Haskins has a future, I don't want to put, to put it behind this one. So, you know, I think this is one of those things where, it's very easy to be like, because we don't see practice, we don't see any development. And maybe that's, you know, it's hard with quarterbacks because there's only so many reps, but um, he's one where I, I would think the best thing for him would be to disappear for a year uh, and, and, and see where he's at in another season and just embrace what this year is going to be. But they, the, the Steelers refuse to do that. They want to win. So if Roethlisberger is terrible or, or quits on him, it's going to be, Rudolph and you know we'll see how that goes yeah uh if I had to choose between Devlin Hodges the guy they call duck that somehow managed to beat the Browns while throwing jump ball ducks or Mason Rudolph the guy with the hematoma on the top of his head from a few years ago hmm I'm gonna go with option E I'm taking Josh Dobbs as the quarterback option. There, I mean, their quarterback depth options from the past few years outside of Michael Vick has just been. What are you guys trying to do? Like, I there's there's no way, and I've and I've seen talks about it on Twitter and you know on the rumor mill that they're talking about giving Mason Rudolph a contract extension. And to me, it just it doesn't make any sense. You've seen him for basically a season at points you benched him because he just wasn't good and now you sit there and say to your mind i wouldn't mind giving this guy a contract extension when he showed me nothing in the times that he has touched the field oh yeah i mean he's still plugging away he's uh i don't have any issue with josh Dobbs. i don't think he's particularly good i did like him a uh, quite a bit at the senior bowl when he was there but look i i don't you know, uh, even with Dwayne Haskins, I don't see a, the answer there. I think you're, you're basically just punching lottery tickets. And, you know, if, if Josh, Josh Dobbs is another one that where he's a, he's a, a, an outstanding human being, which is something I cannot say for Rudolph. Um, so, I mean, in terms of that, you're rewarding a, a, a great kid in person, a shot certainly is more attractive to me than, Rudolph, but I, I, you know, we'll see if they if they're willing to go that route. So when we look at the Najee Harris pick, I'm gonna ask you a question. All-purpose yards. Do you think he has more production catching the ball out of the backfield or as a true running back? And I, I feel like the the question may be a little. I mean, the answer may be a little bit obvious, but I I wouldn't be surprised. Um, if he has some solid production catching the ball out of the backfield since they try to get the ball quickly out of Ben Roethlisberger's hands and he's shown the ability you know, to excel in that role catching passes out of the backfield. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's going to be rushing yards, but the, the, what, what you bring up is important for a different reason entirely, which is they have no, they, they, they had a really limited vertical passing game in part because Roethlisberger had to get the ball out so quickly. But when you have a guy like Najee Harris, you don't need to have everybody running sort of these underneath and almost like screen routes where, uh, the, the kid they have, what's his face? Uh, the receiver who, uh, who drops a ton of footballs. Um, he, uh, he was James effectively Washington? there. No, uh, the Deontay Johnson. Yeah. Deontay Johnson. He was effectively their running game last year because he catch three yard passes and, you know, try to run like that was the running game. And obviously some of those drops are because he was afraid he was going to die uh, because it was becoming so obvious what was happening that defenders were just teeing off on him. But I think y- you may still see some of that, but I think having Najee Harris as another option is going to at least open some other options, whether it's, you know, some curl type routes or maybe, you know, posts or, 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 or you know, deep, deep in cuts or something like that. So if Roethlisberger's protection does hold up, you know, he at least has another option to, to go with the ball. But when he doesn't, it's not just automatically throw to a receiver who's going to die. They have Najee Harris who can sort of force the defense to cover more of the field uh, and, and spread them out a little bit, perhaps creating a little more space and opportunity for guys elsewhere to, you know, live. Yeah, and that could also be a situation where you, you see a little bit more production out of the Pat Fryermuth pick, you know, with their tight ends being able to play underneath. Eric Ebron being more of a, a move tight end. Uh, maybe he's someone that they believe can develop into a traditional Y. And obviously that's someone that can block in line. And then, of course, you know, make plays as a receiving tight end as well. So I guess this kind of goes back to the question I originally wanted to ask you. Do you think Najee Harris has the... I'll just ask straight up. Do you think he has the ability to have a thousand yard season given, you know, Benny Snell and Anthony McFarland, I don't think are really talented enough to take significant snaps away from him based off what he offers and how they, you know, use Le'Veon Bell a few years ago as he's kind of a player within that mode and what he can offer to the offense. If he doesn't get a thousand yards over 17 games, he either got hurt or they couldn't block at all. So, you know, it, it, can he average per game? Sure. Are there some teams that they're going to run up, run up on and, and be able to, uh, you know, just beat the hell out of? Absolutely. Overall, I think it's going to be a struggle for him. It wouldn't be a surprise to me if he ends up with like three, nine per carry, you know, like Josh Jacobs sort of did last year. And you're sitting there going, well, if they, if they can get a, B and C up front sorted out that he's really going to take off. Um, you know, there is a lingering question. Is he the next Trent Richardson? And I don't think he is, but, I don't think it's as automatic uh, as as maybe you'd like to believe it is, and and a lot of that's because the the the, the what's in place there it, with Pittsburgh. I don't see enough that just automatically guarantees he's going to be great. Okay, hot take. Over or under? Uh, it's tough because it's seventeen games this year. Screw it. Over or under eight games for the win total. Wins uh, under. Oh, they're under. I, 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 look, they have the Browns, the Ravens, which should be for for a losses for them. Should doesn't mean it'll happen. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if the Bengals take another one from them and they split that. But they've got to deal with the Chiefs. They've got to deal with the Chargers. You know, they've got the AFC West. You know, there's no, we don't have the NFC East and the AFC South this year cushioning our our, our fall. And keep in mind, the Steelers are playing a first place schedule because they won the division technically. The Browns, meanwhile, have a third place schedule despite the fact they finished 11 and five. So, like, that's the other thing. The Steelers get no breaks from that standpoint. Yeah, it'll be nice to see them kind of get beat down a little bit. for and for me, just looking over just the AFC North, the Baltimore Ravens is just 
constantly going to be that those two matchups highlighted on the board. Um, one, just because they, they embarrassed you, uh, you know, the first game of the season last year. Now, granted, you know, different offseason because of COVID, um, you know, Kevin Stefanski was still trying to get comfortable with everything and figuring out how to correctly, you know, deploy the offense based off the players that we had. But th this is a situation where, you know, the Steelers aren't going to be as good. The Bengals, they're still years away before they're actually, uh, I would say, a legitimate threat to competing for the AFC North crown. Now, it, it really just comes down to how are you going to perform against the Ravens, who's either been that team that you have a good game and you beat them, or they've really embarrassed you, um, you know, over the past few years. And, and this, I would say this is kind of unrelated to, you know, the past few seasons. But the thing that still makes me cringe is the fact that we lost to them on a blocked field goal return. And that alone just makes me hate the Ravens even more because it just it just felt like such the Browns way to lose. And of course it had to be to the Ravens. <sighs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's one of those things, but yeah. Yeah, so hopefully, hopefully they can change 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 the fortune around against the Ravens, and I mean obviously you have to get at least one, but I feel like if you get two against them, um, I feel like that that sets you up nicely in order to get say like a second seed, depending on you know how the Bills perform in the AFC East. Yeah, I mean the, the AFC East is going to be a, a much more interesting division. I think it's Buffalo's to lose. Although, you know, we'll see what the Dolphins do. If, if, if Tua gets a lot better and he doesn't even have, to, it doesn't have to be right out of the gate. Let's say he follows the same track that Baker Mayfield did last year where six games are a little iffy, but then he, he starts putting it together. Like they suddenly become a really dangerous team if they can make the playoffs. Yeah. Um, I, I would say they're one of the, I feel like they're the dark horse team to make the playoffs and maybe give someone some fits. Um, I would say kind of similar to the Jaguars back in 2017. Now their defense isn't as good as that defense was, but overall, I just feel like they've collected so much talent over the last few years. They've kind of set themselves up, you know, outside of really the quarterback position. And I would say really running back, um, to compete, you know, with, with the top talent in the, in the AFC. Um, so yeah, that shows the entire drafts of the AFC North with the Cincinnati Bengals, the Baltimore Ravens, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is episode nine of the Browns Digest podcast. We do have one final episode, so that'll give you guys 10 episodes for the first season of the podcast. So actually, I'll give you a slight snippet for those of you who are still with me. We'll be going into detail about the Cincinnati Bengals, and I will be having James Rapine of All Bengals. He's the editor for Sports Illustrated covering the Cincinnati Bengals. So we'll get a little bit more talk about what they've done in free agency. Um, obviously, more in-depth questions about their draft picks and really where the Bengals are going to go in the future. If you guys are interested in learning more about what the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers did in free agency, you can go ahead and check out our previous episodes earlier in the season. And of course, you can check out last week's episode as we talked about the Cleveland Browns draft, giving our analysis and our review. The episodes will be available, of course, on the Sports Illustrated Browns website as well. Make sure you guys give us a follow on Twitter inside the podcast show image. Thank you guys so much, and we will see you next time.